Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the breach. The Ten Thunders are a powerful faction in Malifaux, and their criminal wing is feared throughout the city. But the Thunder's power is deeper and more dangerous than anyone suspects. As today's story shows, Ten Thunders operatives wield strange and terrifying magics. I hope you enjoy part one of As Above, So Below, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by the Ten Thunders. The Ten Thunders would like to assure all business owners within the little kingdom of the safety of their staff and the security of their property. Offering such assurances does not come without certain costs, however. Protection fees are due promptly at the start of every month. We cannot guarantee the safety of anyone who is late with their payments. As Above, So Below, by N. A. Wolfe. Whenever the Wraith Walker was forced to wander the path, he never walked the same road twice, even to reach a hitherto unvisited destination. All the memories in the Matrix were embedded in a web so vast that it was possible for him to reach any of them without unraveling a scheme he'd already encountered. Each of the innumerable strands was different, a few threads were robust, well-paved roads, their parent memories clear as day, but most were fractured and dilapidated, clinging to their nodes like wispy locks on a balding scalp. Since no two voyages along the path were identical, the mystery of it all never ceased to draw him back, even though he had travelled thousands of times. Once the Wraith Walker arrived at his terminus, his behaviour always remained unchanged. It was the one constant in a process otherwise defined by its very uncertainty. He spied. He listened. He meditated. He knew that the agents in each memory couldn't see him, hear him, or touch him. He was a ghost to them, as they were to him. The Phantom and the players were locked immutably in limbo, between life and death, both unable to connect. He was simply forced to witness their fates unfold, just as the hapless actors were forced to meet them. At times he felt like a god, until he grudgingly reminded himself that no deity was ever so powerless in the realm they called their own. Tonight was no different. The path called to him, and with great concentration, the Wraithwalker closed his eyes, harnessed his chi, and answered. Placing one sandaled foot in front of the other, inching towards the beacon in the nothingness, his spirit began to walk. Where would the path lead him this time? 
He could feel his footsteps reverberating in the void, each click of his heels resonating between aching bones that were both there and not there. The satisfying tap was like sweet song, and he knew its rhythm well, even though the sensation was, as usual, over as quickly as it had come. The first things he heard were the voices, which reached his ears just moments before light and colour burst before his eyes. He knew that light travelled faster than sound, but the memoryscape of the path did not abide by normal rules. After the noise and light came sensation. A cool autumn breeze crept up against his wrinkled skin. Even though he was nothing but an apparition in this world, he had experienced the details so vividly. His soul felt the caress of the wind, the grating of hard stone beneath his feet, and the wafting scent of the cherry blossoms. And so he relived these feelings too. He was not there, and yet he was, caught between memory and reality. The wanderer had materialized in the outdoor courtyard of a towering octagonal pagoda, constructing from rich lacquered redwood and elaborately carved terracotta tiles. Red ribbons and lanterns, all unlit, adorned the roof beams and fluttered in time with the chirping of cicadas. He knew that this used to be home. Two men before him were locked in heated conversation, lit by the fading rays of the dull moon and totally oblivious to his presence. It's not too late to reconsider, Chikshin, said a man in elegant emerald robes with a thin goatee. He stepped straight through where the wraithwalker was standing. For the briefest of seconds, the two stood in the same spot, one inside the other, yet wholly, utterly separated by an incontrovertible boundary. The ghost felt nothing, and simply stepped aside. No, it's time, the man called Chirkshin decided resolutely. He wore midnight blue tangfu with gold embroidery, and the sigils hanging from his curved hat indicated that he was a high-ranking bureaucrat who had passed his civil service examination with flying colours. The Maobi tucked atop his right ear for safekeeping wasn't purely decorative. Its bristles were blackened and worn from the countless times it had drank from its inkstone. We discussed this, Yanlo. We all made the decision together. The man clapped his hands, and eight other sages, each wearing equally elaborate garb, emerged from the temple, forming a ring in the centre of the courtyard beneath the glimmering moon. We can't waste any more time. Within the circle of nine, one space was still left vacant. Jackson looked at the young Yang Lo expectantly. You know what we have to do, he said, pointing toward the empty place. The Wraithwalker watched, slightly amused as his former self shook his head. Once the gates to beyond are opened, they are nearly impossible to close. Surely there's another way, he answered firmly. You know there isn't one, brother. We have no choice. The young Yan Lo slammed the butt of his kakara to the ground in exasperation, and a series of rings looped around its iron disc jangled menacingly. Did you forget why members of our order carry these chikshin? How dare you lecture me, he began, but his partner gave no notice and talked over him. Our staves make noise, so that insects move out of our way when we walk. We swore an oath to do no harm to any living thing, no matter how small, 
even accidentally. Jiaxin flashed a woebegone smile from between his pearly teeth. His eyes were full of sorrow, their lids heavy, darkened and drooping. Clearly he had not slept properly in weeks. He twiddled one of the sigils dangling from his hat between his dexterous fingers. The filthy Mongol hordes will not stop raping and pillaging our people. It's been that way for decades. Do you really think that those savages give a damn about our oath? How many can be saved by risking the lives of a few? He pointed at the Kakara. When the smiths forged your staff, how many invisible little bugs do you think died in the furnaces? Yet their death saved so many others from being tread on, no? And what makes you think that Kiman would be so willing to save us? To them we could be insects whom they sacrifice for some grand design that we can't even begin to comprehend, he retorted sceptically. You seek to replace one foe that we can understand with another that we can't. If our people are to be butchered, aren't we better off fighting against the demons we know? Chen Lo De Wan, Jiaxin answered simply, as above, so below. The young Yan Lo paused at last, stroking his beard and lost in thought. As above, so below, he repeated. Without realizing it, the Wraithwalker, too, found himself mouthing the words. The universe is all about balance. Traps and subterfuge lie everywhere. Whatever evil exists beyond is already reflected here on Earth and vice versa, Chiaxin said morosely. If the teachings are correct, and I am not arrogant enough to question them, then we cannot assume that the Kimon are truly beyond our comprehension. And you don't think it's arrogant to think we can tame them. It is a risk I am willing to take. Now take your place, Chiaxin concluded with gritted teeth. I have been civil. Don't make me force you. The other mages raised their staves. The young Yan Lo grudgingly joined the summoning circle and began to chant with Chirkshin and the others. And the Wraithwalker followed his footsteps. He knew what was about to happen as surely as he knew that shouting at his younger self to leave was entirely futile. And so the ghost stayed silent, but his eyes welled with tears. The ground began to shake, and blood-red light burst from the unhallowed cracks that soon split the courtyard flagstones. The garden's rocks quaked and then shattered, sending stone fragments towards the heavens. The mages continued to chant faster and louder, a roaring crescendo that refused to abate. The Wraithwalker gasped in pain, and his vision flickered to black. The courtyard, Chirkshin, the mages, all vanished and in their place a new scene emerged from the inky gloom. He knew that he had strayed from the path. He could feel pain here. A young woman in a purple yukata knelt before a shrine of bones and blood-red candles. Her eyes closed as if she were locked in a trance. Her beautiful lustrous hair began to stand on end, and seemingly of their own volition, the locks writhed like tortured serpents, squirming from exposure to an open flame. The Wraithwalker gasped, as a gaping maw split the back of her skull in two, its gnashing teeth and cracked lips stretching the surrounding skin and bone into unnatural proportions. The pain pounded again, 
and he was sweating profusely. He reached for the back of his own scalp, the source of the ache, and shrank back in terror as he felt the rows of fangs newly embedded there. An unhallowed tongue, slippery and wet, lapped at his fingers. He wanted to scream, Uncle, wake up, wake up! He could feel Jackie's soft, supple hand shaking him awake. He was the wraithwalker no more. The Yan Lo of the present opened his eyes, uncrossed his gnarled legs, and reached for the cup of tea in Chiaki's trembling fingers. Jishi Shemana, you don't have anything stronger, niece, he choked with a rasping cough as he brought the steaming liquid to his lips. Haven't I taught you anything? He messily wiped his decrepit mouth. You were screaming and scratching the back of your head, she said acerbically. Should I have left you that way? Drink the damn tea, old man. Yan Lo scowled, and without a second thought, he felt the magic surge through him as he crushed the clay vessel in between his wizened fingers. He truly was back in the real world. He had power here. And thanks to his many times removed great niece, an anchor. Wandering the paths for as long as he could remember had done irrevocable damage to his spirit and soul. While he'd never be willing to admit it, he was thankful. A state of semi-permanence. Knowing that someone was on the other side to wait for his return was a welcome feeling. Though these days, his mind did enough wandering on its own. Uncle! Liquid flew everywhere, and Chiaki flinched, but she didn't move. We have to go, Yanlo said, vehemently snatching up his cloak in a fluid motion that belied the aching in his crumbling joints. The path. It hasn't brought me back to Chechen in centuries, and I saw something new. It wasn't a memory, it was... Who is Chechen? Tell me what's wrong. She grabbed his wrist, but as soon as she saw the urgency in his eyes, she let go and snatched her satchel instead, preparing to depart. I think I just met Mizaki's new pet, he said. She will endanger us all. I'll explain everything, but we need to go. Before she could ask anything more, Yan Lo was already out the door. Wait, she called. I need to get my... Yan Lo poked his head back into the chamber. Looking for this. He waved a slender silver flute under her nose. Even in his urgency, he offered her a rare, crooked smile. Shaking her head in affectionate consternation, Jackie followed her ancestor into the night. Asami's delicate hands trembled as she presented five dilapidated trinkets before Amanjaku. A dented bronze prayer wheel, a lapis luzuli ring, a bracelet of blood-red beads, a scratched silver snuffbox, and finally, a thumb-sized carving of a dragon. This last token was the most impressive. Its intricate detail worn and polished not from lacquer, but from the thousands of times its owner had run his fingers across its scaly wooden hide. Azami's own fingers caressed each of the objects delicately, as if stroking the cheek of an infant. Her eyes narrowed in sadness. The deaths of their erstwhile possessors had been most regrettable. It's done then, Amanjaku concluded. I can tell you didn't enjoy it, though. That's all right. You will change in time. The little imp from beyond snickered. 
Was this really necessary? Azami asked. Her thin eyes narrowed in evident distaste. Among the five victims had been an old woman. The look of horror and confusion on her face as Azami's grasping strands strangled the life from her raging body still haunted her. Why did it have to be me? It's a little late for that, the only chuckled. I wouldn't go near those charm waters. Isn't it just wonderful to be human, even if only partly? He clapped his long-nailed fingers together. I guess you haven't changed at all since we first met, you know. I find the value you place on life to be... amusing. Azami said nothing, but knelt before her shrine, begging her gods for forgiveness as she placed each of the trophies atop it. Its altar consisted of an elegantly bound pile of bones held together with coloured twine and red wax. It probably would have been better to have dumped Keita's body, or eaten it, Amunjaku smirked. But instead you built this little art project. It's a bit macabre even for me. His eyes lit up at the very thought, and he twirled his robes of flayed skin with glee. He deserved better, Azami answered darkly. Now placing a fresh offering of tea cakes and ripened fruit to top the bones that had once formed her handler's palms. Hida had died the first time she manifested her powers on that fateful day when the Nephilim attacked the rail lines. Azami couldn't control her offspring then, but she'd become more adroit in the months since the incident. If I had left him rotting somewhere in the ground, his death would have been meaningless. At least he serves as a reminder now. She glowered at the imp. There was a cost to letting you in. Azami shot another guilty look at the objects. Now when Jaku's grin didn't disappear. Chin up, Azami-chan. Kita tried to make you a circus plaything for the thunders, he cackled. Some friend he was. But it's not all bad. I made you a promise, didn't I? It's been months since we sealed our agreement, Azami retorted. I've done your bidding. I've killed for you while following the orders of the Oyabun. It's just a miracle that she hasn't figured out that I'm the one attacking her charm orders. She paced back and forth, driven by both nervousness and anger. And my promised child, you've still given me nothing, she spat. Her locks suspended themselves dangerously, but Azami managed to control herself, and they fell back limply to her shoulders. Why shouldn't I just end you right now? Azami reached for the wooden dragon and brought it an inch from Amajaku's eyeline. Careful where you point that. Amajaku quailed for the briefest of moments, but he regained his usual smug composure. You banished me. After I saved your life from Titus and Kamakura. After I gave you powers. After all I've done to get us here. He wagged his tongue. Oh, that simply won't do. If I'm gone, you won't have your child. Why do you think I asked you to track and kill those people over the last few months? He snorted as if the answer should have been obvious to her. Their auras would have made it even harder for us to conduct the summoning. Don't make it so that they died in vain. You're so close to your prize, girl. Destroy the damn talismans already. Fine, Azami conceded. But you have to go. I don't want you here while I do it. These people, the trinkets are their only remains. They deserve respect. 
Amanjaku faded into nothingness, but the flickering golden lights that had haunted her since her birth, like a million mocking fireflies, clouded her sight. I'm always with you, Azami, even if you can't see me. Now do what you were chosen to do. The lights pulsed to the cadence of the Oni's every word. Azami gritted her teeth. With but a thought, her glistening locks unfurled. One by one, the serpentine strands inserted the tokens into her maw. She winced ruefully as the sharp fangs crushed each of them to tiny pieces. The moment the last of them was torn to shreds, she felt a new wave of energy pulse through her. It was only then that Asami realized how this seemingly new force had always been inside. Carrying around the charm water's fetishes, just suppressing it. She was still partly human, and their dampening fields hadn't affected her so dramatically she couldn't manifest her powers. Now she suddenly felt elated, more truly alive than she had in months. It terrified her. Excellent, Amunjaku said, rematerializing and rubbing his hands together excitedly. It feels less constricting in here already, he added, flexing his nimble fingers. Reaching into the filthy pockets of his robe, the demon pulled out a milky stone, licking his lips eagerly as he stroked its smooth surface. Azami shuddered. Is that... another obsidian gate? How? Perceptive, the Oni replied, but not quite. He closed his eyes and began to mumble under his breath. After several terse moments, rays of poisonous green shot from the cracks between the imp's clutching fingers, and the flickering yellow lights burst before Azami's eyes once again. Suddenly, an enormous jolt of pain shot through her, and the pale woman from Kamakura collapsed to her knees, uttering a howl not from her human mouth, but from the jaws protruding out the back of her skull. She heard a wet, choking laugh, like the dying sigh of a drowning man. Covering her ears, still curled on the ground, Azami fought desperately to keep it out of her head. When Azami thought she could bear it no longer, a new voice, a human voice, spoke loudly and clearly, forcing away the menace. It wasn't one she recognized. Its tone was hoary, aged, and frigid like a biting wind. It's been a long time, Chikshin. The thing facing Yan Lo was unrecognizable from the man he remembered. His fair skin was now putrid, scabbed and yellowing. Boils and pustules burst from the gangrenous tears in his rotting pallid flesh, now host of maggots and flies like a living hive. His formerly lustrous silky black hair had become overgrown, wiry and tangled. Several tufts were missing, exposing a swollen inflamed scalp festering with sores. Perhaps most hauntingly, only ragged hollow sockets remained where two inquisitive eyes had once charmingly captured the hearts of young admirers. Now, they burned with an unnatural necrotic glow. The sentries haven't been kind to you, brother, Yanlo said, his words lined with the slightest trace of sympathy. He could make out all the gruesome details of Chikshin's new form, but his silhouette seemed to flicker as if he hadn't fully materialized. Looking down, the mage noticed that the demon remained connected from the waist to a pale green stone, 
clutched between the claws of a tiny imp-like blue demon. Even more inexplicably, the woman the path had shown him lay curled on the floor, evidently in unbearable pain. I should say the same of you, but you haven't had to spend the better part of a millennium literally living in hell, have you? Jackson responded sourly. I can't believe it's really you. I have waited so long for this day, Yan Lo. I am sorry for what happened. I truly am, Jixin. Jixin's dead. You killed him, the demon barked. His decaying clawed fingers curled in fists of rage so tight that his own yellowing nails dug into the flesh of his palms. Clotted blood dripped from the cuts, evaporating with an acidic hiss as it speckled the ground. What happened to you? I've become what you made me, Chixin accused, through gritted teeth, stinking spittle dribbling from his purple bruised lips. I am Wen Shen. Yan Lo shook his head, refusing to look away. Jiaki gasped. Uncle, you did this? Wen Shen cast his gaze toward Jiaki, who fought hard not to quail. He pushed me through the gate to hell itself, child, he said. I thought I was lost forever. Until Ling Zhuzi showed me the true power that lies beyond. He raised his rotting hands towards the ceiling and let out a dark, maniacal chuckle. Before I commanded respect, now I command legions. I paid my price, brother, Yan Lo whispered sadly. The other eight... They cast me out and cursed me. He spat on the ground. On the path I know no peace, only ashes and bone. I have seen dynasties rise and fall. I had to watch in shame from the ether as Kublai ascended his barbarian throne. I sacrificed far more than blood that night. Yanlo's teeth flashed a wide smile as he again appraised the monster before him. And I would do it again a thousand times over to protect us all. Even Mongol rule was better than this. He gestured disdainfully at Chekshin's rotten, corpulent body. Wen Shen was about to reply, but a squeaky, malicious voice cut him off. Welcome to Malifaux, my old friend, the little blue demon said, eyes glazed over in reverence. It took much to bring you here. You... Wen Shen looked down, wrinkling with what remained of his brow with condescending disgust. It was you that summoned me. He let out another wet, booming guffaw. You continued to surprise us all. No one believed that a little runt like you could make it across. Yet here I am, the little demon said, with a satisfied nod. Me, the poor, helpless Amanjaku. He crossed his arms and added, I must admit... I had some help. He nudged the pale woman with his toe. She was still writhing on the ground. Wen Shen, meet Azami Tanaka. Yan Lo tightened his grip on his staff as he finally understood. Mizaki's pet and this tiny kaiman were connected. Wen Shen's tone suddenly changed back from incredulity to arrogant condensation. I knew that you were too weak to cross on your own. You impudent wretch. There's no need for jealousy, the thing called Amanjaku responded with a malevolent grin. 
Soon I will help Lingzuzi himself cross. But I need you with me first. The flames in Wen Chen's socket seethed with a mad, pulsing glow. We do not consort with mortals, he shrieked. You are contaminated. Poor choice of words, Evan Jackie retorted with a chuckle, as he eyed the maggots clawing their way out of Wen Chen's sockets. You were mortal once too, he concluded wryly. Ling cured me of my affliction, Wen Shen added dismissively. What did you promise this Azami? He pointed at the woman. A child. Preposterous. Wen Shen gurgled gleefully, clapping his hands together. I suppose you never planned to deliver. You always were a perfidious little beast. His tone was almost admiring. And yet here I am, escaped from beyond, and here you are, still trapped. Wen Shen let out another raucous, sputtering laugh. If only that were true, he mocked. With a snap of his fingers, a portal of miasmic emerald appeared before him, drowning the little chamber in a caustic, noxious glow. Yan Lo had barely raised his staff before a toxic, vomit-coloured wave of putrid liquid began oozing through the tear in the fabric of reality with a stomach-churning plop. It seeped towards them with speed that belied its thickness, expanding and contracting to wiggle itself toward him. Within seconds, the substance began pooling around his feet, and to the major's horror, he realised that it was sentient. The goop wrapped itself between his and Chiaki's legs, binding them in place with its gelatinous quivering. A pulsating network of cobbleweb-like veins crisscrossed their way through the sludgy mess, glowing red with foul arcane energy. The harder they struggled, the more challenging it became to break free, and the smell alone was growing overwhelming. Nepepo, shouted Chiaki with utter revulsion. Meanwhile, four new kimen emerged from Wen Chen's gateway, the rings of fat on their squat, chubby orange bodies jiggling and slapping against each other with every careless step. The vicious talons on their stubby arms gleamed with the same keenness as their beady black eyes, and their slimy purple tongues, longer than the creatures were tall, lashed out towards them. Yan Lo grunted, and with a wave of his staff, he harnessed his chi and shot a barrage of energy at the oncoming Akanami. The air crackled with etheric energy as the magical bolt streaked towards their targets. The scent of rancid, sizzling flesh filled the air as the Kimon were struck head-on, but they continued their advance, and the Nepepa had already enveloped them up to their waists. Uncle, cried Shiaki again, fighting to stay afloat and releasing a wave of magical energy with a note from her flute. The lashing tongue shot back towards the Akaname's mouths as the oozing flesh continued to rise. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for part two of As Above, So Below.